Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We are in Jerusalem. We are there in October, very likely. It's the Feast of Booths. Jesus has gone down and he's ministering to the crowd. He started about, the, the Feast of Booths is seven days long, and then there's another day on the end that gets uh, is something else. But it, somewhere in the middle of that, uh, he sh- showed up and began to preach and minister in the temple courtyard. Uh, the leadership wants to kill him, so it's actually very brave. It's a remarkable step. Uh, they've been looking for him, searching for him, and then he shows up, you know, publicly with, and just stands there like, here I am. And in the course of all of it, they, they dare not lay hands on him. They, they, they want to arrest him. They want to they do more than that. Um, but they, they have not touched him at this point. On the last day of the Feast of Booths, uh, I, I mentioned uh, how the priest would go down and he'd go about a half a mile to the south end of the city of David. There's a, there's a pool there that's fed by the uh, spring of Gihon. And he would take a golden pitcher and he'd pick up that water and he'd march back to the temple and people would in procession be going along. And one of the scriptures they would quote is Isaiah 12, 3, that, you know, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You know, people are, and people are singing uh, the, the praise psalms, uh, the ones that start with, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, hallelujah and all that. So they're, they're, they're singing that. Psalm, Psalm 118 is one of the main ones they'll use. And they're, they're, they're processing with him, uh, just rejoicing. And the whole idea is we're at the end of the dry season, but God, you brought water out of a rock. Uh, you're the God who supplies. You're our source. And so we take some of the fresh water that's left <laughs> at the end of the dry season. Uh, springs are drying up. Uh, cisterns are green. Uh, what water they have is, 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 is sparse. And then they pour it out before him and they say, but God, you're our source. Isn't that beautiful? What a powerful statement of faith. Uh, God, you'll provide water. But, oh, it had come uh, because of Zechariah 14 in particular. Uh, it had come, the Feast of uh, Booths had come to mean the coming of Messiah, in which all of the people would again be gathered together. And the Messiah would pour out his Holy Spirit on all of the people. Uh, you read Zechariah 14. It literally says Messiah will celebrate the Feast of Booths. And that's, I mean, it's not even no speculation in this. Uh, it'll, he'll celebrate the Feast of Booths and, and all of the people will. And, and, and the Spirit will come on everyone. Yeah, so it's, there, it's, there it is in the Word. And so in the middle of that, very likely, very likely is that priest pours that water out and people have been singing Psalm 118. Uh, you know, when it, as that dies out, Jesus stands up and cries out. He, he doesn't just say it. Uh, this is in the very temple itself, not out in the court of the Gentiles. We're not out there. Uh, we're either gathered in the court of the women, which is, uh, that's as far as the women could go, is what that means. Um, and, but then there's the, the Nicanor steps, and you go up into this, these, these doors, and then the, the court of Israel. And so the men may be in there. Uh, and however it is, everyone's there. And Jesus stands up and he cries out in a loud voice and he says, Is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. 
And as the scripture said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Nobody thought he was crazy. Nobody reacted like, that's a crazy man. Get him out of here. The, the spirit came over the place. And people were moved. And they begin, a stir comes into the courtyard. They're going, he's Messiah. No, no, he's the second Moses. No, he couldn't be. He's born in Nazareth. Wrong place. I mean, all of this confusion goes on. All of this is happening. The, the confused response we see... The, 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 the different groups and crowds and the, and, the, and, the, and the controversy is just like today. Is just like today. And I want you to see how people responded. We're going to look at that. And we're going to let the Lord call us. How do we respond? Holy Spirit, open the word. We want to see Jesus. We want to hear him. We want to be disciples as though we were right following after his sandals. Lord, be with us, strengthen us, teach us, for we would live out our discipleship today in 2016, in this place, in this time. So Lord, strengthen us and be our, be our teacher. And may our ears be open, our eyes see, and our hearts be soft. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 7. I'll start at verse 40. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, certainly this is the prophet. That's that second Moses out of Deuteronomy 18. Moses said, there'll be another prophet like me. Others were saying, this is the Christ. In other words, the promised son of David who, who would bring righteous government and rule forever. Still others were saying, surely the, the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. And some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then, the, the officers, this is the Levitical guard. These are the, the police. The, the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees and, and they said to them, why did you not bring him? The, the, these office, the chief priests and Pharisees said to the, to the guards. If you look over at verse 32, you see them. They sent the officers. The chief priests sent them to seize him. So these guys have been on assignment. They, the, the, the leaders say, go get him, arrest him, and bring him here to us. Well, they show up back, and they, they haven't got him. And they said, why didn't you bring him? And the officers answered, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. And the Pharisees then answered them, you have not been also led astray, have you? And no one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd which does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to him before, do you remember when that happened? Yeah, Nicodemus came to him. It's in John 3, uh, early on by, by night. You remember and said, uh, uh, we, many of us, know you must be from God. Nobody can do what you do except God be with him. And, but they don't know that. Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man uh, unless it first hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? They answered him, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. We're talking today about critical thinkers. 
There are many controversial issues in which it really doesn't matter if you and I are wrong. Hallelujah. Uh, there's all, <laughs> aren't we? We're all, you know, somebody said, you know, certain groups are just where everybody gathers and they're wrong together. Um, uh, there's political issues. You can, you guys, you and I can argue about you know, the water quality in federal way. I mean, you can just do anything you want to talk about and have a controversy over it, and it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're right or I'm right, or you're wrong or I'm wrong, it's not life or death. It's just we're just debating stuff. It would be it would be nice to be right, but if we're wrong, there is no great price to pay. But there are a few topics in which what you or I decide is a matter of life and death. On these, we must be right, or at least as right as we know how to be. On these, we can't afford to let others do our thinking for us. Most of us would agree that when it comes to the important questions of life, we certainly do need to think for ourselves. But in practice, thinking for ourselves is much easier said than done. There are powerful tides of public opinion that rise up around us and try to carry us with them. We're told we're welcome to think, quote, independently as much as we want, but we soon discover they meant that so long as we come up with the right conclusions. To be out of step with public opinion on issues that really matter can actually become quite dangerous. Independent thinkers who cross certain lines will be warned to conform, and then if they persist in charting a different course, threats will follow. In time, that person is likely to be mocked, shamed, fired, relationally abandoned, or even physically attacked. So on the one hand, each of us has an obligation to ourselves to investigate the important issues carefully so we can make an informed decision. But on the other hand, if in doing so we discover that the opinion of our surrounding culture is wrong, we put ourselves at risk. It will be dangerous to express the unpopular truth we've discovered. To follow our conscience sooner or later will require courage. The term is political correctness, is one of the terms. It started years ago as just kind of being, a, you know, kind of those fringe folks, you know, and they just, you thought, oh, well, they're just squabbling. And, uh, and it has grown and, and taken over through the media, through our school systems, through our education, our universities, through just about everything you can, you can, you can imagine. And, and it's, it's, our, our culture is becoming much less tolerant of any kind of divergent thought. The United States has been built on a place that, which is, by the way, a deep biblical value, that a, a person needs to follow their conscience. And that the conscience of an individual is sacred. You know, you, you honor the individual conscience of a person. And so we've, we've given a lot of leeway to people. Uh, you, you're, you're allowed to, to speak uh, almost anything. Not, no one's ever said anything. You couldn't yell fire in a crowded theater or something like that. I mean, there was, there was boundaries to it. But differing opinions were tolerated because this is what we believed in, the freedom of a conscience, a person's conscience, to follow it and, and to be able to express what they think. That is changed rapidly. And, and now it becomes quite dangerous to say what you think. And so you'll notice there's a cooling uh, atmosphere. Just the sense of I don't dare say what I think except very carefully with a few safe people. I, I, years ago when I was traveling, we actually stayed in, in Greece when it was under a junta. And I had never been in a, an oppressed culture particularly before as, a, as an American. I hadn't, I hadn't lived in that. 
And I remember, you know, we, you, you were mixing with the, the Greek people at the time and, and, and saying, um, you know, what about this and what about that? And you would, you would watch them just go, shh. You, know, you don't talk. Don't talk about that. Just the fear that was over that entire nation of speaking what they thought. You could not do it without punishment. Now, that's, that junta has left, I don't, and, and, you know, and all that. But uh, that's, I, I thought, wow, is that what this feels like? And some of you have been in repressed nations. We're watching our own culture head that way. And we're watching, I, I, you can kind of sense it's squeezing, isn't it? It's just squeezing uh, on, on everything. So it becomes more and more incumbent on us to decide what is important and to be willing to have courage. Not be unwise, but to have courage and to think for ourselves. We cannot follow all the advice that we're getting in the media. We cannot follow the kinds of things that even our experts tell us. Many of them are false. You're going to see false experts here. Their, their antagonism against Jesus is based on a false piece of, of information. But nobody asks. Nobody goes to seek the facts. And we live in the same kind of culture. So what they're dealing with, what we're dealing with, is very similar. I want to retell this. I, I really want you to feel that, that encounter. Uh, Jesus invoked, pardon me, Jesus Invitation provoked debate, not ridicule. Did you notice how they responded? There must have been a strong presence of God uh, confirming his words because the discussion that erupted afterwards was about whether or not Jesus was the prophet promised by Moses or whether or not he was the promised Messiah. No one suggested he was crazy. The under, they understood the spiritual meaning behind his claim and many thought it was true. And he said, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. They, they understood. He's talking metaphorically. This is, this is spiritual stuff. He's inviting us uh, to, that he's the source of the spirit. People knew that. People sent, understood it. Those who argued that he was not the Messiah did so because they wrongly assumed he'd been born in Nazareth rather than Bethlehem. Did, did, you, did you see this? All the way through the big issue is he can't be the Messiah. He was born in Nazareth. And doesn't anyone want to go, no, he wasn't. What do you, no, we will ask him. He'll tell, <laughs> you know. And yet no one did ask. No one questioned it. This truth of where he was born underscores all of this thinking, but it's false. Our four-year-olds know where he was born. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. We all know where he was born. They didn't. And the whole argument is based on that. Myths. Scientific myths that get put through this society. Uh, truths of history, you know. This is what happened. And it wasn't at all. It wasn't at all. But it gets into the culture and it's accepted widely as truth. It's happening right here. As the debate about him raged... The crowd divided into hostile factions. So some became so angry they tried to push forward and seize Jesus. But as John says, no one threw his hands upon him. One possible explanation is that those who did believe in him stepped in their way and blocked them. Another possibility is that God placed a fear of him in their hearts. The temple guard who had been sent by the chief priests and leaders of the Pharisees to arrest Jesus, they had been, but the guards also fell under the influence of his words and returned empty-handed. 
the leaders were shocked and asked, why did you not bring him? Apparently, at least some of the Sanhedrin, Israel's highest religious court, had assembled and were waiting so they could question Jesus when he arrived. Obviously, they hoped to find grounds to jail him or worse. The guards replied that Jesus was far too credible to arrest. They had not encountered a crazy fanatic or a, a fool spouting religious nonsense. Something was happening in that temple courtyard that rose above the level of a disturbance. They said, never did a man speak as this man speaks. In other words, that situation demands respect. Jesus has all the hallmarks of a genuine prophet, and we felt it was inappropriate to interrupt him. We, too, were spiritually moved when we listened to him. To say such a thing under those circumstances took great courage. They were questioning the wisdom of their assignment and suggesting that the leaders inquire further before they act. Do you see the guts of those guys? This is the, this is the group and then the whole, the whole scene we're looking at. We've got the crowds. We've got Nicodemus. We've got leaders. We've got all this stuff. The, the people who really uh, show great courage and great integrity are the guards. It was the Pharisees rather than the high priests who responded to these comments. That, that's, that's a telling remark. During that season of Israel's history, that's from 174 B.C. onward, the high priesthood was granted to certain people by whatever foreign emperors ruled them at the time. It was no longer a sacred office held for life and then passed on to one's son. Bribery and submission to Rome had become the pathway to that position. So the household of Annas that controlled the high priesthood during Jesus' ministry were not people who cared one way or another about what the Bible said concerning the Messiah. Their interest in Jesus was purely political. They saw him as a threat. If his influence continued to increase, he could jeopardize their position. Let me stop there for a second. That's important to keep in mind. Because if you don't see this, you can kind of vilify Judaism. And say, well, look at these awful people. Look at Caiaphas and Annas. These guys were absolute frauds. This is a disgusting family that bought the high priesthood from the Roman government. Come on. If, if, imagine in the United States if somebody bought the position of leadership. Huh? And how awful that would be. Whew. See? Yeah, just put it in perspective. I say that because you do not have a genuine priest. You do not have someone who cares or has been taught the words or, or anything else. You've got, a, you've got this disgusting family that just reappoints its different members so to keep, the, keep Rome happy. That's, to be fair, they're, they're not there. So who is it who replies? Who is it who does care? It's the Pharisees. They, they do care. Uh, but the Pharisees did care about the Bible. In their minds, they were rejecting Jesus on biblical grounds. It isn't that they didn't want the Messiah to come. They didn't think Jesus could be the Messiah because they thought he'd been born in Nazareth. They told those, these guards that they were fools who'd been deceived by an imposter. They asked them, you have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of, or, of, or, or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? And then they added this statement, but this crowd which does not know the law is accursed. Their point is that if there were, if there were any validity to Jesus' claims, the religious scholars in the Sanhedrin would have confirmed those claims. In their minds, the common people followed him because they were ignorant of the Bible. 
And their failure to follow its rules that had placed them under all the curses it threatens to those who disobey. The leaders of the Pharisees boldly asserted that not one of their group had believed in Jesus. But we, the readers of this gospel, know something they didn't. We know that Nicodemus, a highly respected Pharisee and member of the Sanhedrin, had already secretly met with Jesus and affirmed that he and others were convinced that Jesus had been sent by God. John reminds us of that fact by calling Nicodemus the one from among them who came to him beforehand. When Jesus addressed Nicodemus there in John 3, he called him the teacher of Israel. Not a teacher of Israel. He said, aren't you the teacher of Israel? Meaning he's a very prominent personality. This is someone who teaches, who's well known. This is a huge influencer. And he's the one who shows up at night and says, we, many of us, we, we know you must be from God. Nobody can do what you do and it not be God. We know that. So he's an integrous man. He's an integrous man. This scene is full of confusion. That temple courtyard is swirling with opinions. And so is the meeting room where the religious leaders have gathered. There are some who believe in Jesus and others who do not. And those who do not have based their decision on false information. They wrongly assume Jesus was born in Nazareth. And to make matters worse, the religious experts agree with them. And the one religious expert who doesn't agree lacks the courage to say so. Listen to all the voices in this account. Each is saying something different. Each person or group has a different opinion. People are arguing among themselves. Even those who are positive toward Jesus aren't sure who he is. Some think he's the second Moses. Others think he's the promised son of David. Those who reject Jesus say they are doing so because the Bible proves he can't be the Messiah since he was born in the wrong place. Everyone knows he was born in Nazareth, but the prophets said the Messiah must be born in Bethlehem. The religious, religious experts agree. And as the de debate rages on, no one checks the facts. Do you see how similar that is? You and I are living in swirl of opinions. You and I are living with experts saying all kinds of things. I mean, every Easter and every Christmas, they drag out this tired bunch. And I won't name them, but I sure could. And, I, and, and, and they drag them out and they have them talk about what we know about Jesus. And it always discredits things. And these guys are tired, worn out individuals uh, who, who who've never did have uh, any evidence of, of a faith. Let me tell you something. It, it's easy to be impressed by people having degrees. But if you have enough money, you can buy one. I mean, it, it, all you have to do is just keep going to class and you get one at the end. Do you understand? I have a couple, and, and, and I, I have almost another one, and I happen to, uh, don't be impressed. <laughs> don't be impressed. Just because somebody's got a degree and starts quoting other people, it, 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 this, yeah, the academic world is this. It says they, they quote each other. Nobody uses any particular logic. You just quote each other, and then they quote you, and that's the courtesy of it. <laughs> and then they have, we all know these things. And the stuff that's put out is, is nonsense. It really is. It's embarrassing, but because they have letters after their names, everybody goes, oh, it must be true. They must know all this stuff we don't know. No, they don't. Many of them, many of them couldn't find Deuteronomy if they had to look for it. Well, I'm sure they could, I, I, but that's, that's a mean remark. <laughs> I meant it to be. 
Excuse me. Excuse me. Somebody said Steve's really nice except about certain things. <laughs> Never mind. You know what they are. Yeah. That was one of them. All right. Let's look at critical thinker while, while I've still got any anointing left. <laughs> A critical thinker is someone who is willing to challenge the ideas that are presented. They don't passively accept something simply because everyone else says it's true. They don't follow the crowd. They evaluate the evidence for themselves and are confident enough in their own judgment to come to a different conclusion if that's where the evidence leads. Now, there's a difference between a critical thinker and a critical person. Anybody can just be negative. Anyone can just go, I don't believe that. Prove it. I mean, there's no brains in that. There's nothing, there's, that's not a smart position to just go, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, you know, I prove it, prove it, prove it. That, that's not intelligence, that's just stubbornness. So, critical thinker is not someone who's looking to be argumentative. A critical thinker is a genuine seeker. And it's someone who's willing to do the work, whatever it is, because the issue is so important, they will examine this issue, uh, they will look at the information, they will try their very best to make the right decision, even if it doesn't fit the, the, what, what everybody says, even if it's dangerous. Those guards were critical thinkers. They were on assignment. Arrest the guy, bring him here. He's a phony. They go and they listen to this guy. They feel the power of God. Their hearts are moved. They're going, no, he's not. And they went back and said, we're not arresting him. Get him yourself. <laughs> Didn't they? That's dangerous. They were critically thinking. They sensed their heart. This is, not a, this is not a crazy man. This is not that at all. Wow, there's credibility all over this thing. And we feel the power of God. And look at the, the whole people. All of us do. I'm not resting that guy. I'm not touching him with a stick. That's critical thinking. That's, that's, that's not following what you're supposed to do. But it's having the courage. People, if we're going to live in this society, you and I cannot follow the culture. We have to be critical thinkers on these important issues. We have to decide our own soul and what we believe. In this passage, the bravest group of critical thinkers is the guards. They had been given an assignment, arrest Jesus and bring him here so we can question him. But when they stood at the edge of the crowd and listened to him, they were deeply moved by what, they, by what he said and couldn't bring themselves to seize him. They returned empty-handed. And for that to happen, they not only used their own judgment to evaluate Jesus, but after coming to a different conclusion from the religious experts who had sent them, they decided to disobey their orders, surely knowing that they might be punished for doing so. That required much courage. When they returned, their leaders insulted them and then asked how they dared form an opinion on their own. They were supposed to follow, not think for themselves. They were not told what happened to these, pardon me, we're not told what happened to these men after that, but apparently what didn't happen was that they changed their opinion about Jesus and went back to arrest him. Jesus would not be arrested for another six months. It seems these brave men insisted on making a decision about Jesus for themselves. You see my point? What they didn't do is go, okay, we're sorry. We didn't realize and go back and arrest him. They did not touch him. The whole thing broke down. Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the experts in that room full of leaders. 
but he didn't openly advocate for Jesus. Instead, he tried to slow their rush to condemn him by questioning the process. He said, our law does not judge a man unless it hears from him beforehand and knows what he is doing. It's literal. In other words, we can't determine Jesus' guilt before we have interviewed him and evaluated the evidence carefully. And of course, he was right. Anyone searching for a just decision would know that. But most of that group wasn't searching for justice. They had already decided to kill Jesus and were merely looking for an opportunity. They responded to Nicodemus' caution by insulting him. They asked if he too were an ignorant peasant from Galilee like Jesus. They suggested he go and study the Bible until he discovers that the northern region of Israel called Galilee had never throughout all of Israel's history produced a prophet, let alone be the birthplace for the Messiah. By the way, that statement isn't factual. At least Jonah and possibly Nahum were from Galilee and Isaiah specifically identified the tribal regions of Zebulun, that's where Nazareth is located, and Naphtali, that's where Capernaum is located as places that would see the Messiah's glory. You hear that passage every Christmas. It's Isaiah 9. Those who dwell in darkness will see a great light. And it says, Zebulun and Naphtali, the light will dawn upon you. You've been burned. And, and then it goes on, the passage goes on to say, for unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is given. One of the most powerful messianic passages in the Bible. And it's directed to Zebulun and Naphtali. These, 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 these experts are going, there's no prophet from there. Yeah, there is. And there's all kinds of stuff. Sorry. Later on, Nicodemus would in, indeed take a bold stand for Jesus. But, in, but when did, by the way, when did he do that? I assume you remember. When was it? When, when Jesus was, yes, do you recall? When Jesus was on the cross, it was time, uh, you know, they, they didn't break his legs. And, and, uh, and uh, was it Joseph of Arimathea went and asked Pilate for his body. And then he went, he, went, uh, he was going to take him down and bury him in his own tomb. And then it says Nicodemus showed up. And Nicodemus brought with him 75 pounds. That's a lot of, of myrrh and aloes. Aloes is that green, you know, agave stuff, you know. And uh, aloes is, I mean, myrrh is a spice and all. And you, you wrap that goo all over the dead body. And then you, you, you wrap it with the, the, the linen strips and, and, and put, it, put it in the tomb. And, and these two old men did a bad job. And, and the, the women, you recall, are standing at a distance going, oh, oy vey. And <laughs> look at that. Oh, don't, don't look. Never mind. And they came, they came back on Sunday morning to get that job done right. They weren't there to see the resurrected Christ. They were there to fix what those two old men had done so badly. And, uh, but, it, but at least when, when he goes out and those two old men take that body off the cross with people still all around, that's the end of his Sanhedrin. That is the end of his position. He came out of the closet when he saw Jesus, he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw him into myself. He said that to Nicodemus. Remember that? And there he is lifted up. And Nicodemus goes, got it. And that's when he became a disciple. So Nicodemus would indeed take a bold stand for Jesus. But in the dangerous atmosphere of that meeting room, he tried to straddle the fence. 
with the result that he failed to protect Jesus and ended up looking foolish in his attempt. Some issues are so important, they force a person to choose. What matters? So what are the issues that really matter? What are the questions to which I dare not give a wrong answer? Which truths require me to be a critical thinker and be willing to walk away from the crowd or outrage my superiors if they're wrong? For me, it's the answers to these important questions. First, is there a God? And if there is, what does he require of me? Would you say that with me? Is there a God? And if there is, what does he require of me? Number two, is there life after death? And if there is... What must I do or believe to enter that place? Say that with me. Is there life after death? And if there is, what must I do to be or believe to enter that place? And finally, where can I find the answers to these questions? Say that. Where can I find the answers to these questions? Critical thinkers. Critical thinkers won't be passive and let someone else answer those questions for them. They won't let someone else decide their destiny. It's too important. Others may be partly to blame if I ended up separated from God forever. But that won't change the fact that I've ended up separated from God forever. Blaming someone else won't change the verdict. Either I repented and believed accurately in this life or I didn't. How I arrived at that decision becomes immaterial. Do you see the danger of this? We are, we're a victim culture. I mean, it is just sown into us now so deep. And so I think people, some people expect to stand in front of the judgment seat of God and go, it's, it's their fault. I'm so victimized. I'm just acting out. You know, I, I don't know if God will go, oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what he'll do, but it won't get you in. You either repent and believe or you don't repent and believe. And this is the problem. Your soul is in your hands. Ultimately, you cannot pass that to anyone else. You cannot say it's their fault or their responsibility or that's, you know, you and I have a responsibility before God for our own soul. Just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was now, we, we had our wonderful graduates stand here and uh, we, we gave them Bibles. Do you recall that? And uh, I, I, as, I was, as I was presenting it, I, I just felt a, a sort of a strong thing from the Lord. And I, and I said to them, uh, I said, uh, the God who created uh, the universe wove into the fabric of this cre his creation wisdom. Wisdom that is contained in this book. The God who wrote this book made it. And so if you will obey the, the counsel of this book, you'll prosper. Your lives will take on direction and your lives will heal and be fruitful. And you will be eternally effective in people's lives if you will follow this book. And then I said this. And I said, the God who wrote this book is the God you will meet on the other side of death. Did you hear that statement? That is really the issue. The God you and I meet on the other side of death is the God who wrote this book. That's why I can't allow the opinions of others. I can't look for their approval because they meet the same God. I will not let anyone take my soul. I have decided. We all have to decide what we believe. We all have to decide what is it we're going to put our faith in. What are we going to trust? I have decided. This is just a personal testimony. I believe the book.
I don't understand all the book, but I believe it. And I accept it as God's word. And I'm spending my life trying to understand it and trying to obey it. So that I might please the Lord and be fruitful. And so that I might indeed get on the other side and hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy master. That's what I choose to live for. And if you think I'm going to allow the pressures of a culture that, that, that do not like this book more and more, who see it, I think, as a dangerous book full of all kinds of things. But if you think I'm going to try to please them and try to buy time, even to avoid persecution from them, so that I can have a little more time here and then step over there and be in eternal danger, you've got another thing coming. I look at this culture and I look at the society and in my opinion, it is full of death. I see people giving in more and more to every form of drug, every form of addiction, every form of appetite. I see them enslaved. I see them lonely. I see them angry. I see them divided. If you say, do you want more of that? Or maybe a few more years and then perish on the other side? Not in a million years. I'm not, I'm not, I have no intention of being defiant or difficult, of being rude, of being judgmental. I don't, I, in fact, I don't think we are. We love people. We long for them. But when you come down to it, will I let you take my soul from me so that I gain your approval as a society? I will not. I will not. Everyone has to believe something. You and I do. I choose to believe the book. I choose to believe the Savior that I've met here. I choose to believe the God I've met here, that he's my savior. Each of us has to trust something or someone in order to answer the questions that really matter. And I've decided to trust the Bible. I, this is my personal testimony. I want to know what this book says. So I study it line by line to make, uh, to, to the best of my ability, I try to let it speak without imposing my preferences on it. As the process continues, I come to, to conclusions. I become convinced that I know what it says, at least about what those important topics. And it doesn't take long to discover that the Bible challenges many of the opinions of my culture. If I use the Bible to critically assess the values and assumptions of my culture, I soon discover that I can't follow the crowd. I can't trust the experts. And even religious leaders can be severely wrong. If I make carefully informed decisions for myself, I will soon end up in conflict. Seems nothing has changed over the past 2,000 years. I think it was the first part of this week. It might have been last week, but I, th I think it was the first part of this week. I was sitting there studying. One of the lovely things that, I, that you have provided is, I, yes, I have well, meetings and lead, I, all of those kinds of things, but you give me time to study the Bible. And so there I was at my desk, and, 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 I, and I, I study several days of the week, and, I, and I'm just going through it, you know, doing what, you, you see my work, it's the daily Bible studies and everything. And I'm right, and I put down my pen, and I, and I looked up and I thought, boy, am I getting strange. <laughs> the more I read this, the more it makes wonderful sense to me. It, 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 the more I love the God of this Bible, and it, it changes me. But I realize the more I'm immersed in it, I think so differently now from the culture around me. And I thought, I, I feel increasingly odd. I bet, I bet I'm the only guy in 
a long space around here doing anything like this, you know. And there's that feeling like, is this okay? Is this okay? You know what the Lord said to me? And then just bear with me. He said this. He said, you're becoming a Jew. And what he didn't mean is I'm changing my religious affiliations to Judaism in that sense. But the Jews are a people of the book. Have you noticed them? All over the world. I mean, lots of persecution, lots of, lots of anti-Semitism. I mean, I mean, whole nations have tried to eliminate them. Uh, there, there's all of this. And yet there's a resiliency in them, isn't there? It's kind of amazing. It's amazing. Just this resiliency, like no matter what you do to us, we're not quitting. And, and the world, even again, is rising up against this, all sorts of rising anti-Semitism and this kind of stuff. And yet, because there are people of the book. See, the book doesn't move, but the culture does. And the book is so out of step with the culture. And, 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 it just, and, and so if you're a people of the book, it just makes you, as the culture moves, you become more and more isolated from it and more and more different because your book didn't, the book didn't move. You and I are people of a book. If we're real Christians. Now, I see an awful lot of Christianity basically racing the culture, trying to stay ahead of it, trying to come up with justifications so that they don't have to be odd. But if you follow the book, you will end up odd. Not, not unloving, not self-righteous, not harsh, not critical. Those are ugly qualities and they are not part of Christ. He wasn't ugly, was he? He wasn't harsh. He wasn't critical. He wasn't mean. In fact, we're, gonna, we're coming up on John 8 and we're going to see him deal with an adulterous woman. He's as gracious and kind as he could possibly be. But did Jesus follow the culture? Did he hold to who he was? Yes, he did. He did not follow. He stayed pure and he stayed holy. He's a person of the book. Brothers and sisters, as we read this passage and we see the response and we see the swirl and we love the culture we live in, who are you and I going to follow? Who are you and I going to be? There is a deep choice and there's a price to pay and you and I intuitively know that. That's part of the reason it's hard. It's part of the reason we really have to think about it. Probably the primary reason I teach regressively through the Bible is I don't want to be responsible for misleading you, especially when it comes to answering those important questions. For that matter, I don't want to be misled myself. So basically, I do three things week after week. I study the text and ask, what does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? What does it say? Is I, I try to find out what it really actually meant and that was, was saying. What does it mean? What's the eternal truth? What does it mean to me? How do we live this? How do we today do what it says? We're letting Moses and the prophets, Jesus and the apostles, teach us about God and explain what he requires of us. We're letting them prove to us that there is life after death and explain what we must do to, and believe to enter that place. We're letting them give us God's answers to those questions. And the question is, if you and I happen to have lived back then and happen to have been standing in that temple courtyard when Jesus spoke these words, is any man thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. And the one who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. If we found ourselves surrounded by a swirl of opinions about him, to which of those many voices would we listen? Which group would we follow? Who would we let make that life or death decision for us? That temple courtyard was so similar to the world we live in today. Like the crowd People around us have many different opinions about Jesus. 
Some of it based on totally false information. Like the religious leaders, there are people who feel threatened by Jesus and want to condemn him. Like Nicodemus, there are people who know the truth, but lack the courage to speak what they believe. But there are also people like the guards, who have listened to Jesus carefully, felt the witness of the Holy Spirit, and have chosen to believe and boldly make a stand. The question is, which one am I? Which one are you? Would you stand with me? I'm going to just pray now, and, 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 and uh, if you agree with me, just, just, just join me in your hearts. Our Father, when we see uh, Jesus Christ, we see our Savior. We, when we read the Word of God, we sense your voice. We sense the holiness and the, and the strength of your Father's heart. We know that you've created us. We know you've created us for yourself. And this day afresh, we surrender to you. We surrender to you that you would conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Full of love, full of grace, full of mercy, but also pure, holy, committed to you, faithful, and, and strange. And not like the culture around him. In the world, but not of it. Lord, that is a painful walk. It's, it takes a lot of grace. And yet we choose to walk that walk. We choose to be real disciples in our day, in our time, in our place. And to let the life of God flow through us. Lord, we come from, we come from great roots. We come from men and women who walked full of the Spirit and unafraid, boldly lived out their love and their evangelism and their, and their fellowship together and their proclamation in a, in a culture that was so hostile. And Lord, they, they won the world. And we would choose to be leaven, full of life, the seed cast in the garden. We would choose to be such people. We'd be, choose to be people of a book people of a savior come holy spirit give us strength and courage with joy we draw salvation waters from the from salvation from the waters oh god thank you for what you've given us if you agree with that would you would you just say amen thanks for listening if you like this podcast please click the like button subscribe and share it with a friend for more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.